As a lot of you, I'm sure remember, um, back in March, there was a shooting spree down in Atlanta, Georgia, where eight people were killed, six of whom were Asian women. And I very clearly remember the news reporting this story, but it was confusing, to be honest. Some people were saying it was a hate crime. Some people were saying that it was a sexually driven crime. It was it was very confusing about what the motives were, and um, different news sources were reporting about it in different ways. And my friend Richard Lee, who you probably remember from season one, um, was doing a lot of posting about it on social media. And he was involved in a lot of rallies and um, just giving lots of really amazing information. And I really kind of latched onto that and was reading a lot about it because I was very interested um, in this story. So I reached out to Richard and his prettier half, Teresa, and I asked if they would be willing to sit down with me and just kind of share their reactions to the Atlanta shootings, their how they experienced it, um, being an Asian American, and then just talk about kind of their experiences in general, growing up in America as Asian Americans, um, what they experienced through COVID. I was just so, so honored that they were willing to sit down with me and share so vulnerably and honestly, and also just so graciously, um, being willing to explain just their viewpoint and what they've lived. Cause obviously they've lived things that I haven't as a white woman here in America. So I just deeply appreciated their insight and their wisdom. And I know that you will too. So stay tuned. Okay. Welcome to this episode of So What Else. I am so excited because I have a returning guest, Richard Lee. Say hi. Hello. But we have a more important person yes, than do. you here. We have your wife, <laughs> Teresa. Hi, everyone. World premiere. Yes. <laughs> Is this your first podcast ever? First podcast. And my son actually said, oh, I'll listen to that one. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you guys, this is so fun. We're in person. We are right here in this room. Yeah. We're sitting in one room together. Yep. With holding mics like Britney Spears herself. <laughs> like we look like celebs. We really do. I'm like, Richard, you brought all this gear. I did. I'm a podcast novice, obviously, which maybe I shouldn't call that out on my own podcast. Everybody's a podcast. <laughs> but I was like, I have a microphone. Is that good enough? And he was like, I'll bring stuff. And he showed up with like a suitcase of all of these wires and things. Yeah. Guys, this is legit so much fun. I this know. Is- I'm thrilled. I mean, my child just had a temper tantrum, but it's fine. We're, we've moved on from that. <laughs> Teresa, are you watching any Housewives? Oh my gosh. Yes. New I'm York. watching. Okay. Tell me, are you watching New York? I am. I, the, the ratings are plummeting. I know. I can't stick with it. Um, yeah. I'm watching it because there's not much else to watch. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm But with I you. agree. I watched the first, I want to say, I don't know, three or four maybe. And I was like, what's happening? Yeah. Like, it's too Ramona, heavy. Ramona, Sonia, yes. Luann. It's the same thing yes. over and over and over. I agree. But Beverly Hills this season. Oh, what do you think? Oh I'm watching gosh. that one too. Erica Girardi, the whole thing. I, I, gonna, I like love her though, but I, like, I don't know if she's actually like involved. Evil. Yeah, yeah. Like, is she maybe a bad person? I don't, I don't know, but know. I love her. I know. I know. But yes, no, I'm watching <sighs> Beverly too. So okay, those good. two. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Same. Okay. Richard, are you watching any housewives? <laughs> <laughs> do you watch with Teresa? Tell me the truth. No, never. Tell me. Does no, he watch with you no, ever? Yes, yeah, Scott will never. Scott no. like actually like it makes him angry. <laughs> it doesn't make me angry. Cause it's like a guilty pleasure, right? Like it's yes. a, and, and I think I imagine it, there is just some cathartic, it's like watching a slowly developing train wreck. It is. I know, <laughs> it I know. is. Yeah. It's so bad. It's it so is. dumb, but it's so good. Yeah. It's entertaining. And it's so entertaining. Yes. Let's be honest. None of it's real. So true. Oh, so really? well, well, Erica Girardi, Erica Girardi, right? that whole thing is yeah. true. That's true. The what divorce. I mean is they're real people in real life situations, but they're playing it up yes, because that they, is true. they're that is true. very aware of the cameras and microphones. That's true. And yeah. I'm sure the producers will do, oh, can we get that reaction one more time? Like, yeah, I'm positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And also, like, you know, if you're boring, they're not going to mm-hmm. ask you back. Yes. So you do have to do something. Totally. That's you know true. what I mean? So yeah. you're going to do something out of character at some point. Yeah. Totally. To make your storyline worth it yeah. for people to watch. But you know what? Jersey was really good this season. I Ugh. really liked it a lot. I don't Me know why. Too. Right? I deeply enjoyed it. Right? Like, for real. Yeah. So. Melissa's new shore house oh, is amazing. I know. I love it. I love it. I'm so, honestly, it's like you watch it to see their houses yes. and their outfits. Yes. And like, I just like want to know, like, 
If 100%. someone came to my house every day and did yeah. my hair and my makeup, yeah. My, I would be so happy, but uh, also a bad person. I mean, I'm sure I'd be very shallow. Scott doesn't do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, we're in your house now, and I love. Oh, that's what very you did. Nice. Yes, beautiful. Scott has done any project that you see. I know, but you picked out all the design choices. Sort so. of. I'll just kind of. I uh, yeah. Mm. Sure, I'll take the credit. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's me. <laughs> you guys, this is so fun. Okay, I love it. So, Teresa, you have a new job. I do. So, just this week, I started at Spring Fertility. So is that in the city? In the city. And right by Bryant Park. When we say the city, for those of you that <laughs> are true. living in middle America or yeah. somewhere else, mm-hmm. we're talking about, obviously, New York City. Yeah. Anyway, so go on. Tell yeah. me about so your job. It's right by Bryant Park. It's a startup. They do have several locations already in California. Mm-hmm. So it, they're new to the East Coast, but okay. they've been around for a uh, probably more than five years. Nice. Um, and so now they're opening up a location in New York City. They have a location also in Vancouver, Canada. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So you work with like people yeah. that are coming in with fertility struggles. Yes. Yeah. I so that. I will be managing the nurses. Right now we're at a we work space because our space oh, isn't cool. even built out. Yeah. But it's beautiful. And the reason I love them already mm-hmm. is they are very patient driven, patient centric. Mm. Everything is about the whole patient experience. And Mm. they're very cognizant of making it like a great experience for somebody who's dealing with a lot and going through a lot. So um, that's what I love about it. And the other added bonus is my really good friend is the director of operations there, Jamie Weinstein. And so I get to work with one of my really good friends every day. That's so nice. I love that. I love that. I have a close friend that's going through fertility stuff. And we had on the podcast, we had Chelsea Groshans and she talked about her husband was going through chemo and they wanted to have a baby. And it's just like fertility doctors are like amazing. Like you guys are just like. Fertility nurses are amazing. Fertility nurses. Nurses That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Your fertility healthcare professionals. Yes. Are heroes. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So. We have a lot of female doctors. They're wonderful. Love that. Um, so if anybody ever needs. Hey, we'll link it in the show notes. Because <laughs> I do show notes now. I know. I, I'm hardcore I about my show notes. I know, I'm like actually it. hardcore about my show yes. notes. I feel really good about them. <laughs> I link stuff. Yeah. Like legit. It's super legit. I love it. So you guys. All right. So Richard, we had a really good like feed, like a lot of really good feedback when you were on the first time. People love you. I mean, you're a felt, you're a podcaster, mm-hmm. but you shared about IJM mm-hmm. and just like amazing. Yeah. Now, since then, it's been how many months? A fair amount of months. I have a no few, idea. A number. Whatever. <laughs> um, COVID has continued. And then you've also been posting a lot on your social media channels, like especially after the Atlanta shootings, you've been yeah. involved in a lot of rallies, a lot and, of rallies. Yeah. Thank you. And stuff like that. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm really interested because I don't know a lot about, you yeah. know, what it, I know nothing about what it's like mm-hmm. to grow up as an Asian American here in America. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm white, you know, and I was reading your stuff and found it very interesting. And then you were on the let's give a damn podcast. Is yeah. that what it's called? Yeah. And it was really good. Your episode there. And I was like, I put it off for months asking you to come on because I was like, I don't want to ask him again. He's so busy. (laughs) And then finally I was like, will you come on? And you and Teresa talk about that stuff. And so you so graciously agreed to come on. Of course, anytime. Before we get into like the intense, like the rallies, the Atlanta shootings, all that, I would love to hear from both of you about like, what was your experience growing up as an Asian American? Like, what has that been like for you? Well, you know, for me, first of all, thanks. Uh, Caitlin and, and, you know, to all the listeners, it's, it, it, it's really impressive. I think what you've done Mm -hmm. with this podcast, the, the way that you are bringing these issues to the forefront, the, Mm -hmm. the, the people that you're having on and the Mm -hmm. stories that you're telling, I think is, is great. It's, it's phenomenal. So thank you. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah, I I mean, for me, so first of all, I'm 46. Mm -hmm. So I was born in 1975. So I was in first grade in 1980. So mm. just like. So you're really old. Yes, I'm very old. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's like, think of your parents, right? Basically for the listeners, right? So, but, but basically when I was growing up, it was a very different time for Asian Americans. And um, I mean, you didn't see Asian Americans on TV. Mm-hmm. You didn't see them, you know, you you saw one newscaster mm-hmm. um, and Connie Chung, right? I mean, basically yeah, she yeah, was yeah. the first one and the mm-hmm. only one for so long, right? However, 
this particular town that I was in, the the high school that I went to, was actually pretty diverse. Hmm. So it had about like 20 to 25% Asian Americans, Mm -hmm. which is a huge number. There are many cities and many places in America now that don't even have that. Mm -hmm. Um, Bergen County, New Jersey now has gone off the charts and some schools are like 50%, you Mm -hmm. know, Asian American. But so it was a pretty diverse area. Um, But the diversity in numbers... Um, didn't really fully get in, didn't come out into integration Mm -hmm. and wasn't like acceptance. Mm -hmm. It was like tolerable. It was sort of, you know, people were tolerated, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't like full assimilation. It wasn't integration. It wasn't diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so basically you had the, uh, immigrant Asian American children who didn't speak a lot of English, who were basically, they hung out in alcoves and they really didn't integrate into, um, the, the mainstream. And then you have the people like me who were raised in English and this and that. And so those people basically operated as white. Mm -hmm. And that was really the theme for me is like growing up, I saw very quickly like, oh, the path to success in society is by becoming white. Mm. And so for decades of my life, I lived it in a way to sort of leave my Asianness aside mm-hmm. and to basically try and be as quote unquote white as possible okay. to be accepted in society, to say, I'm going to move forward in society. I'm going to be successful in society. And for me to do that, I need to leave my Asian identity behind. So it wasn't like, I'm going to celebrate where I came from. And oh, no, it wasn't like that at all. No, 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 not at all. What about for you, Teresa? So I grew up, um, in Bergen County as well, mm-hmm. but in North Arlington, which is a oh, very... Yeah. Oh, you know North Arlington? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I have a friend that grew up there. Oh. Oh, she's probably a lot younger than me. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> so when I was growing up there, it was very... Um, I, I was probably one of the few, very few Asian oh, okay. kids there, like mm-hmm. me and my sisters and maybe in another Asian family. It was mm-hmm. predominantly Italian, Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There was racism there, which, you know, I didn't know it was called that back then, maybe, you know, but, um, you know, they would make comments, Mm -hmm. the whole like the slanted eye thing, Mm -hmm. you know, make the ching chong stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking to Richard about this when we were preparing. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, my faith grew because of that, Mm -hmm. because I really felt like I had nowhere else to really put this out there with my parents didn't really understand right you know they don't they don't know what racism is they grew up in korea where right they're surrounded by people who look like them and act like them so it was no yeah. use really talking to them about it mm-hmm. but i sometimes had anxiety mm-hmm. about you know facing monday mornings because i didn't know if this one kid i still remember their names too by the way <sighs> would you know make a comment during gym Aww. class yeah and you know it i didn't i I don't know how I processed it when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I think I just thought, well, this is normal because they don't know anything about Asian people. Mm. Um, but it was tough. And I remember like whenever we had school events or back to school night, it was very stressful for me because then oh. I would think, okay, my parents have to go there. They don't oh. know how to speak the language. So you were um, like embarrassed. I was embarrassed, totally oh. embarrassed. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, I, like what Richard was saying, trying to integrate and be as white as I could. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, uh, well, this was like a long time ago. So we used to dye our hair using peroxide. Uh, uh. So one of my friends had this brilliant, brilliant idea. She was like, oh, well, we're going to dye your hair too. Oh my yeah, gosh. It, it didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I uh. still look like I had black hair and she used a whole <laughs> bottle of hydrogen peroxide on my oh head, which probably killed my gosh. hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh. But did nothing. But I, you know, like would try to like, you know, stay relevant or be like one of them but deep down I knew I wasn't and it was fine I I was known as that smart Asian girl Mm. you needed answers for a test or anything I can help you with that right and that was I think my identity growing up and I had really good friends and I had you know I have good memories of you know growing up but yes definitely there was a few kids Mm -hmm. who would call me out just because I was Asian Mm. yeah and I think like one of the things is Kids are some kids are mean. Yeah, and if if I wasn't Asian, mm-hmm. they'd still make fun of me, right? Right, and so right, it, right, right. So like, I mean, I got made fun of because I was short. I got made fun of because of you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so I got made fun of because I was Asian, and it I 
so I, I have a hard time saying it was like blatant racism right. as much as it was like, that's a differing, that's like a different characteristic about me. Right. Okay. And so it just in grade school and middle school, like it just ended up getting highlighted mm-hmm. as like a difference. Right. But what it was, was a constant reminder mm-hmm. that I'm different. That I have something different about me that I need to overcome, Mm. that I need to manage. Like, you know, for instance, like, as I've said, I've tried to be as white as possible or at least present as white as possible. Mm -hmm. My English is perfect. You know, like I didn't have an accent. I I knew the idioms, like everything Mm -hmm. like that. But my parents didn't. Yeah. And so one of the ways that this displayed itself was I would go over my friends' houses all the time. Mm -hmm. But I I would almost never invite them over. Because as soon as they come in the house, they see the shoes at the door, you know, they see the Asian artwork, they Mm -hmm. see the Asian food, the Asian smells, the Asian blankets on the beds, Mm -hmm. and it just feels different. And I'm aware that there's enough difference there that I'm like, I don't want to remind them Mm -hmm. that I come from different material. And so I would, I would go over their house. Mm -hmm. And so like, it it wasn't necessarily conscious as a 10 year old, but it's all embedded. Yeah. You're navigating through all of that. You're code switching through all of that. Yeah. Every single moment, every single day. Yeah. And it just it just becomes tiring as yeah. something that you have to navigate through. Um, and I would imagine that Asian Americans who go to school now, they're still going through some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the racism, that overt racism that stuff like Teresa and you know mm-hmm. has faced, um, and I have faced like you're probably seeing less of that, Mm -hmm. but you're still seeing people highlighting the differences constantly. Yeah. 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 Do your kids deal with that at all? Because your kids are both in high school. Yeah. Uh, That's an interesting question Mm -hmm. because um, I would say the town we live in now, Mm -hmm. probably not because it's like, what, 30, 40% Asian. Okay. So they... You know, like we just recently had Richie's friends. They come over our house a lot. Mm-hmm. It was his birthday. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I can, he had said he wanted this Korean dish, kalbi, which you had yeah. at our house, right? And he was like, oh, I want that for dinner. I was like, oh, well, do you want to invite your friends? They can come and eat too. And he was like, yeah. So a few of them are not Korean. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you guys, you, you, you like Korean food? You don't mind? He goes, oh yeah, we eat it all the time. Oh, and okay. so, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So I, I think mm-hmm. up where we live right now, mm-hmm. it's they're so accustomed to having, you know, Koreans or yeah. Asians there that they don't notice it. Mm-hmm. But when we were living in Union County, mm-hmm. um, Richard, Richie was in middle school and after we moved out of there, or even like towards the tail end when we were living there, mm-hmm. he did tell us about one of his friends. And I think it goes back to what Richard was saying, that just kids, especially boys at mm-hmm. that age, will just pick on anything that's not the same yeah. or different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And this was a really good friend of his who came over our house almost every day, <laughs> yeah. every day. But he would make fun of him, poke Ugh. fun of him about being Asian. Oh, you eat rice and all of that stupid mm-hmm. stuff, right? Yeah. But... He, I don't think like what Richard was saying, he meant it to be racist. It's that was something he could pick on that was easy yeah, yeah, yeah. to to right make fun of. Mm. So he does, but Chloe, no, has never. Mm-hmm. She I I because I did ask her, okay, do yeah. You, do you ever feel different or right? And she said, not really, no. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, interesting. I do think that there's an important difference, which is like Teresa and I are very uh, assimilated into society. We speak English. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I used, I used to coach Richie's basketball team. Yeah. And so like the kids that come over, like I've coached, right, you know, right, right, five right. of they them for, yeah. yeah, for years. And so like when, first of all, we are the house that everyone comes over, right? That's like, good. so everyone, that's so good. Yeah. I heard that's like really good. When yeah. Kids it are teenagers is. To be it that is. House. Right. Absolutely. Cause you want them yeah. close. You want to be able yeah. to know like What's who their friends on. are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, ours is the house that everyone comes over. And so every time they come over, they're very friendly. Hi, Mr. Lee. Hi, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Lee. And, you know, like, we talked with them and this and that. And, like, just that that right there, I feel like is a huge thing that we, Teresa and I, have been very intentional about. Mm-hmm. That we want to be parents that are accessible yeah. to their friends, mm-hmm. which was impossible for us growing up. Like, our okay. parents couldn't be that. Right. So, yeah, they may face some of the certain things. But Teresa and I, I feel like we've been very intentional about trying to overcome some of that stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by having conversations with, you know, their friends. My parents never had conversations with my friends growing right, up. Right, You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. So I heard you say, like, on the other interview that I listened to, that, like, you always thought of, like, assimilation as the goal. Like, you're like, I don't want to yeah. have an accent. Like, I want to speak 
perfectly, you know, whatever. And then you also mentioned somewhere in there, like assimilation is actually a lie. What did you mean by that? Well, I'll tell you, that's, this is something that I've grown to learn. I I would say maybe in the last like couple of years. Mm -hmm. And it's actually born out of conversations that I've had with, with uh, some of the, my black friends. Um, and, and, the journey that they've had mm-hmm. is that they pursued assimilation. They, they, you know, they would, you know, get the grades, they would, yeah. do, you know, go to the schools and this and that. And mm-hmm. they said that no matter how quote unquote successful mm-hmm. or quote unquote assimilated they were, they would never not be seen as black. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's profound. Now the Asian experience is you can actually, you can extend that pretty far. Like mm-hmm. you can actually... You can go to the schools and get the jobs and live in the communities and, you know, do all of those things and pretty much get through your whole life Mm -hmm. and feel assimilated. Yeah. And then I think, you know, because of COVID, Mm -hmm. um, this virus, microscopic virus comes, makes its way here. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden everybody is noticing Asian Americans as a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about, um, you know, just the different ways that Asian Americans are sort of, um, uh, identified in society prior to COVID, you know, you could probably pretty much pass in a, in a white, mm-hmm. you know, suburb in an upper middle-class suburb, like, oh, like, you know, yeah, they're just like one of us. And yeah. so that to me was eye opening in that this per- pursuit of assimilation, I think is a lie because it's, it's, when I say it's a lie, meaning it's a lie of a promise of like full acceptance. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. all it takes is one thing, one experience, one virus to come in and Mm -hmm. suddenly the whole narrative in society change. I used to always say, we are one nuclear bomb away from North, uh, from North Korea, away from having our assimilation being ripped from us. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so, as long as Asian people aren't a threat, like, yeah, we'll be accepted. We'll be, you know, right. we'll let you in our country clubs and this and that. Like, yeah, you're fine. We'll let you, you know, be a vice president in our corporations. But mm-hmm. the moment that we become a threat, then that assimilation becomes a lie. So it's it's actually the black experience that has taught me that, oh, I'm just accepted more mm-hmm. because I'm less of a threat. And then COVID mm-hmm. happens and I'm like, oh, once I become a threat, yeah, this whole thing goes away in society. Like I can be treated just like anybody else on a subway or on the street. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I say it's a lie. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the COVID thing. So everyone's going along, living their lives, and then COVID hits, right? And then there's an obvious uptick in like hate negativity against Asian Americans. And People are saying things like Kung flu and China virus and things like that. How did that impact you? Because obviously everyone that's listening to this is like, oh yeah, COVID sucks. I hate it so hard. I hated the pandemic. But like you had a different experience than me, obviously, as a white person. So what was that like for you? I mean, for me, um, because at that time I was still commuting into the city, going to work. It's, you know, New York City, which Mm -hmm. is like one of the most diverse places Um, So I think I was in a bubble in a sense. Okay. At my job, it was fine. Nobody even mentioned anything or talked about it. Okay. But for me personally, I felt that I had to suppress my cough. If I coughed or sneezed, I Mm. felt like riding a train, you know, or taking the bus. Mm -hmm. I felt like they would think, oh, well, this is, she has coronavirus and she brought it here. You know, Mm -hmm. she's Chinese, even though I'm not Chinese, you know? Um, So I was very conscientious of thinking, okay, I better carry a lot of cough drops so that if I feel like a tickle in my throat, I better not cough. So I did have that, you know, stress a little bit, but once Mm -hmm. I was at work, it was fine. I mean, you know, we're all friends and Mm -hmm. I didn't feel anything at work. That's good. Definitely, you know, getting there was very stressful in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which by the way, like you're amazing anyway, that you were still commuting into New York City, like through the pandemic. Everyone else is like, we're locked in our houses. And you're (laughs) like, no, I'm still on public transportation. Like- (laughs) Trekking in. Somebody's got to. Someone's got to do this. Richard's appetite requirement. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, not only was she commuting in, but like, you know, there was a converted ICU in her hospital. And and so then, you know, she asked for volunteers with the nurses. And so she volunteered herself. Mm -hmm. So she was working in, you know, for a couple of weeks in in the, in an ICU, like a COVID ICU. How intense was that? Oh, it was 
interesting. Yeah. I think, because, yeah. you know, fortunately we were a little bit, um, uh, saved from going early on, you know, because mm-hmm. we're reproductive medicine, you know, we right. don't do a lot of hands on. Okay. So it's, you know, Kaylin, if you were ever in the hospital, I don't think you want me to take care of you. <laughs> <It'd be> like, <laughs> I, I don't think that would go so well. So, you know, we were like the last people to be asked right, really to right, go right, and right. help out. But, you know, they were short, uh, you know, with just yeah. having you know, people to help out. Yeah. It was interesting because it was so different. Like in a way, it was great because when you were there, everyone worked so well together because yeah. we were like, we're in this together. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, you know, when people left, there was people were clapping and cheering that somebody mm. was actually getting discharged. So yeah. it kind of like boosted your mm. morale in that respect. Yeah, totally. But it was scary because they were utilizing people like me who really yeah. hadn't worked in a hospital setting for years. Right. Okay. Um, to yeah. To be able to take care of people who are direly ill and yeah. on death's bed. Right. Um, but it was, it's amazing how humans are, you know, mm-hmm. we come together, we get, you know, we rally yeah. and we'll just be willing to do whatever it takes to save another human life. Yeah. And that was amazing for me to see. Yeah. But on the flip side, a little sad because these people who are in the ICU didn't have family members mm-hmm. really advocating for them. Yeah. Um, somebody there to, you know, hold their hands and kind of like talk to them to, you know, mm-hmm. while they're in a coma or not able to be, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. aware of what's going on. So it was just surreal in that regard. And just people saying, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm yeah. here and I'll do whatever I need to do. But I, um, I don't know what I'm doing. There was a lot of that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. What about for you during COVID? Yeah, I, you know, I think for, it's been a little bit of a personal journey that I've talked about a little bit here already, but mm-hmm. I feel like I've become much more aware of my Koreanness mm. um, in the past year and a half, and and I feel like, you know, like Teresa always makes fun of me because they're like, you know, because I'm I'm outspoken about these Asian American, you know, issues and things like that, and people are asking my opinion, and Teresa's like, "What? Why you? Like, <laughs> you know?" Because like. I mean, for 40 years, I basically tried to avoid being known yeah, as yeah, Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like, you know, on behalf of Asian American, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 hold on. You're <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. It, it's like, okay, you've seen Parasite and Minari, basically. <laughs> uh, but so I think I've become personally, mm-hmm. I've come to a lot of uh, uh, I've gone through a, a journey of sort of my own yeah. introspective mm-hmm. uh, introspection of like who I am mm-hmm. and what my identity is. And I imagine that there's so many other people that are, that are Asian Americans that are going through similar journeys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't mean to put the Asian experience up against the black experience, but man, I have learned so much from black people friends yeah. mm-hmm. and black thought leaders who have talked about what the journey has been for them yeah. because they've been living it. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been talking about this around the dinner table for generations. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked. I, I mean, we, m- my parents and I literally didn't talk around the dinner table, <laughs> right, right, let right, alone right, talk right. about these things. Yeah, And so like, I feel like, man, like I'm trying to, to help out the next generation and the generations of people to come to help correct or help mm-hmm. address or help orient, no no pun intended, orient <laughs> the Asian American experience moving forward. Yes. Because we didn't have generations of people who've had the same lived experience. My parents' lived experience growing up, uh, I mean, moving here and mm-hmm. living, you know, gr- raising a family here in, in the 1970s, 1980s is vastly different just because of their language, their culture. Mm-hmm. And my parents speak good English, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's still vastly different. Yeah. Um, and so like, I've just, you know, been learning all of these different things. And COVID is a lot of that. I think COVID, yeah. um, the, the, the fact that like Asian Americans lead news stories, mm-hmm. th- like it didn't happen before. Like Asians weren't newsworthy. Mm-hmm. And so like, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so now that people are thinking about it, talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, like, yeah, we are a people. Like we have to be thinking about those things. So I've been on a personal journey and mm-hmm. like I, I've i been trying to be very careful like when I do get asked to talk about a lot of my own journey yeah. and not to say like everybody needs to do this and everybody's right. – mm-hmm. I am learning. And mm-hmm. so like as I learn, I think others can also learn with me. And I love the fact that you as a white woman are like leaning into this because mm-hmm. – 
how else will you know? And how else right. would the people listening know about all the different experiences of growing up as an Asian American? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think it's like, you know, for someone like me, it's like scary because you're like, well, I don't want to say something stupid. Oh. And like, what if I say something accidentally offensive or like just dumb or whatever. And it's like, just have Scott edit it out. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we're doing it on a podcast. So it doesn't matter. right? <laughs> but it's like, that's why it's so important mm. to have friends, yeah. right? Because it's just like, you're my friends, mm-hmm. you know, and I would hope that you would have, and I know that you would have that grace for me, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm like, oh, was that dumb what I said? You know what yeah. I mean? And so it's good to have these conversations though, so I can learn, you know? Yeah. And I've loved, like I said, your posts and things like that. Cause I'm like, oh, this is so interesting, which actually. Can I, can I say something to Yes. That? I have white friends that I've, you know, like work with that I, mm-hmm. you know, are friends with. And it, it is the times that people have come up to me and out of the blue mm-hmm. and have said, hey, have I ever done anything that was like rubbed you the wrong way mm-hmm. or like felt racist or prejudiced or like ignorant? And I'd be like, no, I, I you know, not, none that I, you mm-hmm. know, come to mind. And he's like, if I ever do, mm-hmm. will you come and please tell me about it? Mm-hmm. Because I want you to know oh. it's a blind spot for me. Yeah. And I, there have been a few people that have done that for me. And I tell you, like, that means that's so cool. much. Yeah. And so like white people, if you, have, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, like if you just say, Hey, I want to learn. Nobody is expecting perfection. Right. But what you want to be is open. And yeah. so you want to learn. And so, and I, uh, the times that people have even just asked me about like, hey, what was your experience? Yeah. What is your experience at the Atlanta murders? What is your yes. experience with COVID? Like that, those questions alone yeah. are mm-hmm. grand, are like um, validating and yeah. are, you know, giving a platform for Asian Americans. So, mm-hmm. you know, even just that, mm-hmm. you don't need to know the answers. You don't need to know what to say. Mm-hmm. What you need to do is have humility as you say those things yeah. that anybody can learn, anybody can grow because we're, uh, every, nobody's perfect. Right. So like, but, but that's how you learn. Yes. So mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, all right. You mentioned the Atlanta shootings. I want to get into that. So let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, what? What are they referring to? Like, I don't even, <laughs> like, what is it? Can you give me like the, like what exactly happened? What are we talking about? What yeah. happened in Atlanta in Yeah, March? so back back in like middle of March, mm-hmm. um, there was a uh, young white male, Christian, mm-hmm. Southern Baptist male that uh, went on a shooting spree and he went to, um, uh, uh, Asian massage parlors in Atlanta, actually like less than a mile from a, a, an apartment that Teresa and I used to live in, oh, in Atlanta. Real? Yeah. Oh. Literally like down the street. Oh, wow. Um, and so he went on a shooting spree and he murdered uh, eight people, six of whom were Asian uh, women mm-hmm. um, who worked at these Asian massage parlors. Mm-hmm. And, um, the the way that so that i mean that's basically the 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 basic news right. what what i think made it such a galvanizing thing for the asian american community was a um the police press conference mm-hmm. where the person when he was apprehended mm-hmm. um the 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 shooter basically said this was not race based this mm-hmm. was sexual addiction so he is controlling the narrative to the police. Right. And then the police officer in the press conference after he's been apprehended and charged gets out there and basically says, you know, he says that it wasn't race-based, that it was sexually motivated. And um, he said, you know, basically he had a bad day. Like this, he was like <laughs> basically saying this is what happened. And, you know, and so, you know, clearly he was having a bad day. And so like – And so we'll just take him at his word. <laughs> right. And so like the thing for me was – why is the shooter the one who gets to control the narrative? Yeah. Why is yeah, yeah. that being what there were eyewitnesses, but those eyewitnesses don't speak English or mm-hmm. speak broken English. And they're, okay. you know, um, middle-aged immigrant Asians. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we interviewing them? Why aren't we talking to them? Why aren't we quoting them in mm-hmm. the police report of like, what's going on? Why are we, Essentially for me, it was why are we finding ourselves more in solidarity with a young Christian white murderer yeah. 
rather than innocent victims mm. who happen to be Asian, who happen to not speak English well. Mm. We will rather take the narrative from a white person, even though he's the shooter, mm-hmm. yeah. than an Asian person who saw the whole thing because they don't speak English. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we were talking about this, it just reminded me of a time when my mom, whose English isn't so great either, got into a car accident and it was not her fault at all. I mean, it was clear the guy had uh, rear-ended her. Mm-hmm. Just, re- you know, that's usually a given, right? Yeah. Um, but the police wouldn't really talk to her. The police officer wouldn't talk to her, was just talking to the other person. Mm-hmm. And finally she got frustrated. So she called me and Richard and oh, was like, I, I need you to talk yeah, to him. Can yeah. you come? I need your help. This wasn't oh. my fault, but they're not listening. So it kind of brought me back to that incident. Yeah. Because it is easier if somebody speaks your language sure. to just focus on that person and listen to what they're saying, mm-hmm. as opposed to taking the time to listen to this person who can't speak your language, you yeah. don't know what's going on, you might have to bring a translator in or right. it's going to take more time, but you mm-hmm. want to get this thing closed out. Yeah. So it kind of brought me to that incident that we just like to go the path of least resistance. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that's where it brought me to. I mean, that situation with her mother mm. was actually even worse than what she's saying. Yeah. She wasn't rear-ended. The car in front of her stopped in the middle of the street and was backing up into their driveway and hit her because he didn't see her. So she gets out, calls the police come. Right. The guy who was backing up in front of her, white guy, Mm -hmm. is a town fireman. Right. Uh, Calls the police. Police guy, oh, hey, you know, Joe, whatever, right? Like, oh, "Oh, hey, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, takes the report, never asks her what happens. And then she she doesn't speak English. She calls us. I go to the police department and I look at the, I drive her car to the police department. Yeah. And I said, hey, I'd like to, you know, see the police report. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, they give me the runaround. Yeah. And I'm like getting livid. Yeah. No, no, no. You need to pay attention. And I was like, this is wrong. This is not what happened, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because the police report was like, oh, she ran into him when he stopped. Mm, and, right, right. and I was like, no, 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 yeah. this is not what happened. And I literally had to convince a guy. I said, just come outside and look at her bumper. There's no way, because she got hit on the front side right. because he was backing up. So I was like, there's no way that she rear-ended him yeah, with the side, the side of her car. <laughs> right. He backed into her. So I said, come outside. I want you to look at the car and then tell me what you see. He comes out and within like 10 feet away from the car, he goes, oh, I see. Mm. And I'm like, it took me standing in that police yeah. station saying, no, 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 no. You're yeah, going to listen to me. Yeah. You're going to listen to me in perfect English for someone to finally listen to me. God forbid, yeah. like her mom has to, you know, fend for herself. So, I mean, like all of that mm-hmm. is just like there, there's just this sense of like, is their voice worth less yeah. because it's not in perfect English? Yeah. Is it worth less because it has an accent? Mm. Like, what are we, what are we saying about society? Yeah. There was a news report in the Korean newspaper of an eyewitness yes. who mm-hmm. said, he, the shooter comes in and says, as he's shooting, I'm going to kill all Asians. Mm. Now that gets, it's in the press. It is in a newspaper and that never gets reported. And actually the first time I saw that printed in an English news media source mm-hmm. was in Rolling Stone. Um, and I actually reached out to the, to the author. It was an Asian author, Korean, Korean okay. American woman who wrote that article. And basically she said that she found that narrative and wrote about it and shopped it around. And she shopped it around to like dozens of media sources and, and only Rolling Stone picked it up. <sighs> so like the, the, the fact that um, there is an eyewitness account, yeah. we're just not asking them. And yeah. the narrative gets controlled by a, you know, white Southern Christian male who happens to be the murderer. That for me was like, that was just the perfect sort of symbol Mm -hmm. of what that uh, lack of acceptance and lack of assimilation, that othering means for people who don't speak English, don't, who don't, who speak with accent, who, Mm -hmm. you know, look different, feel different, you know, work different. Mm -hmm. And, and like, that's not okay with like, none of us should be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think it all brought up. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was the thing that really got me was when you posted about that article 
and you were like, this has not been reported in any of, you know, the English speaking news sources whatsoever that this eyewitness heard him say this. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I was like, I'm so confused by this. Like why, if this eyewitness, like, like, and I wouldn't, aren't like eyewitnesses, like so important in a case. Like, isn't it like, thank God we have an eyewitness. Right. Like, isn't that so good when you have one? You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, so you mean that like this person like was there, saw it, heard him say this, but like nobody reported it. Like that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy. And you know, the <sighs> thing for me is like, I mean, that eyewitness account gets is we're talking about that right now yeah? because of the high profile you know, mm-hmm. murder and because of the news and because of Rolling Stone and because of all this stuff. Yeah. How many times, not in a murder investigation, but how many times do Asian people just get overlooked, just yeah. get just get passed over mm-hmm. because they don't speak the language, because of this yeah. and that? Yeah. Like, you know, Teresa's mom. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah. Like how many times does that happen? Numerous times per day, mm. per you know, per person. And, it, you know, it's not newsworthy. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, see, it's a good thing I married Richard. He's got a loud voice. So, <laughs> look, I even got the story all wrong. And he remembered. And he, <laughs> he was I like, him. good story, hon. Yeah. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you go. You go yell at them. I'll stay home. I'll be, I'll be the good, Christian, you know, the good Asian girl. Yeah. You, you go yell at them. <laughs> yeah. She's like, you got to go help my mom. Yeah. <laughs> get really out there. That's what I said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So, tell me, what is the AACC? Yeah, Anybody so who wants to take it? AACC <laughs> is the um, Asian American Christian Collaborative. Okay. And it started really uh, about a year, year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and it was started around COVID, right? So okay. with the rise of anti-Asian violence, with yeah. the, the rise of anti-Asian racism, mm-hmm. um, the founders of the Asian American Christian Collaborative realized that there really wasn't a place where Asian American Christians had a voice and a platform. And so we formed this collaborative to basically uh, amplify the voices of Asian American Christians. Um, And we do this through, uh, you know, different ways. And some of it is through activism. We've, uh, you know, signed statements. We've done marches. We've held rallies. Mm -hmm. There's other ways that we, um, you know, talk about it in terms of um, raising awareness and, you know, hosting events uh, and things like that. And then also, you know, like working with um, uh, seminaries mm-hmm. and universities and corporations to help sort of educate um, what are some of the Asian American Christian uh, issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a really important point that you brought up. I mean, obviously the Atlanta shootings is like an obvious depiction of this, but like during COVID, violence was down, like in general, mm-hmm. like general mm-hmm. violence was like down. There were fewer crimes and whatever, but violence to Asian Americans was up, which like obviously is not just like a coincidence. Like you would obviously assume like there's something to this, like that's linked to COVID. Mm. Um, And then the Atlanta shooting. So it makes sense. Like obviously the Asian American Christian coalition would be formed. Now tell me about these rallies. Like I heard you, um, I saw some clips and things like that. And I heard you talk about how people were at these rallies, able to like pray in their native tongue. Like mm-hmm. tell me about how powerful that was and things like that. Yeah. So basically the rallies came about after the Atlanta shootings and um, we held 14, uh, we held one na- nationwide rally in 14 cities mm. and it came together, you know, within days, right? So wow. like every day, like three more cities would sign up, you know, that's cool. Uh, you know, Minneapolis, Minneapolis came on like Saturday night, the day before. Oh, wow. So it was like this great moment of this nationwide surge of, of people who are saying like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And we're going to stand up for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a great rallying of, you know, thousands and thousands of Asian Americans who are saying like, you know what, we're not going to stand for this. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say like, it's not really a typical posture for Asian Americans to be out in public, raising our fists, stomping our feet and raising our voice and saying, we will not stand for this. Like yeah. the Asian American sort of ethic is like, Hey, just like keep your head down, you know, run your business yeah. or like get your grades and like, you know, don't make a fuss. Okay. Yeah. And so Asian Americans like standing up and, and like raising our fists and saying, no, not anymore. Uh-huh. It's like, it's pretty, it's a pretty new posture for us in society. And so- 
um, I think the, the, the beauty of it was to see a stage full of Asian faces mm. and Asian American voices. Mm. Um, and yeah, there were some rallies that hosted people praying in native tongues, mm. like Korean and yeah. Mandarin and, and, and whatnot. And like, I think that there's something very beautiful about that because those voices for generations and like even leading up to the Atlanta murders, um, you know, and the eyewitnesses, like those voices have been, um, subdued mm-hmm. and have been ignored and overlooked for so many years mm-hmm. that to put them on a stage and amplify them through microphones for people who don't necessarily hear those languages and understand those languages yeah. to hear them and validate them yes. is a very powerful thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I really got out of those, uh, the, the rally that I went in New York city was, yeah. you know, some of the people that went up, they kind of shared, you know, snippets of their experience, like what you were asking us, Caitlin, of yeah. what our childhood was like and as they were talking about it some of them teared up and mm. and it just reminded me that we never got asked like how how it was growing up here you know yeah. and we never got to talk about it. and even me I just just assumed I just thought that that was normal or you know that yeah. that was just my childhood and you know it was fine whatever it was right until somebody asks and you start talking about it and you realize okay there's some healing that needs to be done there just even internally for myself yeah and like just like you know even me and my sister is talking about like our childhood experience, even though we grew up in the same household. Right. You know, so I thought that was neat that we all got to hear people's different experiences sound similar to all of us. Yeah. But, you know, we don't ever get to talk about it and and to really lament like how it was a little tough growing yeah. up here and mm-hmm. no one to talk to about. Yeah. That's so important because I feel like when I was growing up, like mm-hmm. in school and things like that, like they taught us to be colorblind. Like that, mm-hmm. we don't see color. It yeah. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. People's color doesn't matter. It's what's on the inside that counts. And like, sure, yeah, that's true. It's what's on the inside that counts. Yeah, right. great. <laughs> like teach your children, whatever. Yeah. But like, no, like the color of your skin does matter because it does impact your experience in the world and it impacts how you're perceived and how you perceive the world and your culture at home and all of these things. But it's so crazy because it was like growing up, you know, like I distinctly remember being in second grade and Mm -hmm. like the teacher stating like, it doesn't like, don't comment on the, on what someone's Mm -hmm. skin is. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so it's like, there's, I feel like this whole generation of people that grew up thinking like that would be offensive to Mm -hmm. ask somebody, Mm -hmm. what was your experience growing up as an Asian American? Or what is your experience growing up as a black person or Mm -hmm. whatever? You know what I mean? Like it almost feels like that would be rude, but it's like, that's not rude. Mm -hmm. That's like being, that's good like to ask somebody like, what their experience was like. So it's like, mm-hmm. even for me, and I'm not even that old, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm really young. You are. I'm like super young. But like, even for me, it's like through everything our country has been going through, it's like a realization for me to be like, no, you should ask this stuff. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, just with all of this going on, people are asking a little bit more. I remember yeah. recently I met up with one of my um, good friends. She was also my boss at a previous job. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think I might have brought up the topic mm-hmm. and she was like, yeah, so did you have anything, You know, did you face any racism growing up? Mm. And I told her like little yeah, stories yeah. and she's like, I'm really surprised. Mm. Um, I think because when people meet us, because we speak the language and now it's a little bit different nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. people are more used to Asians mm-hmm. and um, or Asian Americans. Yeah. So she was surprised and she grew up in Texas too, mm. by the way, okay. in Kermit, um, Texas. So yeah. very small town, right. but she probably because she doesn't really see color, I guess, you right. know, that she just was surprised that, you know, I would have faced, you know, racism because mm-hmm. to me, to her, I seem normal or I feel, you know, I seem like I, you know, blend in. So right. how would somebody be able to make fun of me? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that that was interesting for me when she said that. Yeah. Can you talk about when you went to lunch with your friend? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, well, cause I, I know because I, this was a, a very pivotal moment for me, yeah. um, which is basically we, we were having lunch. It was two good friends of mine mm-hmm. and, uh, we were having lunch and we were actually having a conversation. They're both white. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were having a conversation about, um, 
sort of the the racial tensions between white and black. Okay. This is back like 2016, 2015. Okay. And one of my friends who's good friend of mine and he just says offhandedly um i've always thought of you as white he says to me and it was in that moment that i was like oh i, th- I he was trying to be kind right. and he was trying to communicate like kindness to me yeah mm-hmm. and i received it as kindness right. but then i was like oh that actually means for me to be accepted in society I have to be white. I have to be seen as white. And basically, like, I need to leave everything that I, I like, every Asian part of me behind. I'm not seen yeah. as Asian. I'm seen as white. Yeah. And, and that makes you good. Right. Mm. Like, if you're seen as white, that makes you good. Right. You've made it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, like, that I don't blame the person for saying that because that's how I lived my life. That right. was the goal. And right. it was like, for me, it was basically somebody handing me the gold medal and saying, you've made it. You've yeah, succeeded. Yeah, 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 you've yeah. accomplished your goal. And I was like, oh no, I don't want this. Yeah. Like I've lived the wrong way right. because I've left everything that is actually unchangeably, you know, uh, you know, unchangeable about me, which is my Asian identity. I've left all of that behind yeah. and now I've made it and being seen as white. Like, no, no, no. I need to accept who I am. I need to embrace who I am. And so like, I think that really sort of set me on a journey. Mm-hmm. But like for me, that was the moment where I began to realize this idea of assimilation is a lie, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, going back to your question of like, you know, we don't see color, everybody's colorblind. I will say only white people say that. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. It, yeah, it is. Because yes. what they're saying is, and I, I will say, um, you know, you may find Asian people like in an Asian church and when a white person comes in and say, well, we don't see color. Oh, yeah. So what I'm saying is only majority culture says that. Oh. And what you're saying is we don't need to see color because everybody here culturally is white. Everybody here is culturally acceptable. Everybody here is, we don't want to celebrate other cultures. So like, that's the difference between, you know, uh, having, you know, assimilation and then diversity, but really that idea of inclusion, right? People talk about diversity and inclusion. This idea of inclusion is saying, no, not only do you like have a seat at the table, but we actually want to hear your voice. Like we actually want your culture to show forth. Mm -hmm. And so we don't want you to just say, oh, you know, come in and join our white, you know, church. Mm -hmm. And we don't see color as an Asian person. No, no, no. Actually, we want you to bring your Asian self and be fully celebrated and fully integrated and fully, you know, included here as your full Asian self, not as your muted white you know, off-white version of yourself. Yeah, because it's like when you say, you know, like, so when your friend was like, I was, I've thought of you as white. Or if someone like, you know, were to come into your church, right? Like, let's say it's like a very white church and someone Asian were to come in, you're like, oh, thank you for coming. Like, we don't just want you to know we don't see color here. Like, it's like, they're saying it to be nice, but it's like the implication is like, don't worry that you're Asian. We don't notice like the, mm-hmm. like it's implying that it's bad. Right. Right. Like the implication is right. like, don't worry. Mm-hmm. We won't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Like we don't see. And it's like, who cares? Like mm-hmm. we, it's not like, why do we need, why do we feel the need to say that? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a better thing to say is, oh, like, Hey, tell me where your, you know, where your heritage is from. Yes. Like, oh, I'd love to learn more about that country. You know, can I, you know, you know, yeah. invite you over and like, I would love to hear more about your country, your experience. Yeah. So that's basically saying like, I see you as your full self. Yeah. And I want to hear more about it. I want to learn from you. Not to say, yeah. oh, we're colorblind here. Right. We don't need to hear like yeah, yeah. who you are. Keep like, you quiet. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Just act like us. Mm-hmm. We all act the same. Like, yeah. let's just all right. be together you know what I mean whereas like hello like I'm Italian like when have you ever met an Italian that's like let's not talk about the fact that I'm Italian like Italians are always like I'm Italian like let's talk about it and it's like this big friggin deal like we invented the wheel or whatever you know what I mean and it's like but then we expect other people to like we'll keep it quiet you know what I mean like it's okay you know Mm -hmm. so it just is like it's been a big learning experience for me just like over the years, you know, talking to friends, people like you. I love it. Tell me, what is the specific responsibility of Christians 
during a time like this, you know, like, like we talked about the uptick in violence against Asian Americans and the Atlanta shootings, like, like all this stuff. What is the responsibility of Christians? I think the, there needs to be a embedded discipleship that includes race consciousness, mm. right? This race conscious discipleship needs to be part of our church that we, we don't see just color. We, we're not just colorblind. We're not just mainstream white. Yeah. Um, and I say this as an Asian person who basically grew up like in Asian context, but basically like main white culture right. in our churches. And so I think we need to have discipleship include that and mm-hmm. it, 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 you know so not just rich and poor mm-hmm. or you know male and female but like white and non-white yeah and especially here in america like that's all in our face like it's right. all in the news like we have to prepare our people yeah to be able to navigate through those conversations mm-hmm. um and so you know there are a lot of churches that uh i'm f- friends with uh the pastors who are really leaning into this whether it's through like you know, um, ethnic affinity groups Mm -hmm. where it gives them a safe space to be able to talk about those things, whether they're, um, uh, actively amplifying the voices on the pulpit of people who are not white, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, a large percentage of the congregation is white. Um, so, you know, we have to be able to intentionally do those things. And I think there's, there's like this fear of like virtual signaling as saying like, oh, we're going to get the black person to preach this week Mm -hmm. because like, look how woke I am and this and that. I think it's okay to actually just lean into that and say, listen, I'm a white person yeah. and you know, I have blind spots. And so I listen to this brother and I learn from him and I want you guys all to do the same thing because I, if you're like me, you have the same blind spots. Like to I call it that. out yes. as opposed to just be like, oh, like, oh, this is just a friend of this mine. This is my friend. Who yeah. happens to, you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, so totally. it's like actually lean into it because then what happens is white people say, oh, well, the the pastor that I respect, the pastor that I follow, like he has blind spots. He's learning from him. Like I'm going to lean in. Yeah. I'm going to learn because if he can learn, I can learn. Yes. And so that is a way that we sort of pastor our congregations, mm-hmm. the way that we move through churches. Um, and I think Christians, if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to be ones that lead in this. We can't yeah. be the ones that that lag be behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus was the one who broke down the barriers, the racial barriers, socioeconomic barriers, gender barriers. Yeah. And so like, we have to be the ones who embody that mm-hmm. wherever we go and whatever sort of situations and issues that we face mm-hmm. um, to be the ones to carry uh, that flag or that torch into those areas to to help you know allow the gospel to to spread the peace and justice through that through our living as Christians. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um and you know being an Asian Christian I think we also have a responsibility too. Yeah. Because I think that you know there's a lot of segregated churches, mm-hmm. right? A lot of yeah. churches that are purely Asian, black, white, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think you know us too, we have to kind of get out of our comfort zones a little bit mm. and just, you know, Find a church maybe that's not looking like everybody that looks like us. Yeah. So that's what we've been also struggling with. You know, now that okay. we're back in Bergen County, yeah. most of the churches are segregated. You know, it's okay. like a lot of Asian or Korean churches, white churches. But I really miss having a church where it's like diverse. Yeah. You know, even for my kids' sake. Because I don't want yeah. them to see that on Sundays, we go worship with people that look like us. And on the weekdays, we're with everybody else. Right. You know, so I yeah. think we also have a responsibility too. We can't just put it on everybody else, but we also have to kind of get out of our own comfort zones and really integrate ourselves into just, you know, a church that we like, not just because it's, you know, looking like with people like that look like us. Yeah. So. Yeah. My daughter had this cute moment where, you know, she had, you know, gone to this church and mm-hmm. she, she just had this symbol, this sense that anybody who wasn't Christian was Jewish. Oh yeah. And so when we <laughs> told her about this one person who was Asian yeah. that didn't go to church, she goes, 
she's Jewish? (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like, it was this binary. Like she's like, oh. Right. Asian people, Christian, (laughs) white people, Jewish. Because that was the town that we lived in. And so when an Asian person didn't go to church, she was like, wait, she's she's Jewish? Jewish? Like you can be Jewish. I didn't know that there were Asian people that were Jewish. And like, honestly, for us, we were like, that's a binary we don't want to yeah, 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 uh, you yeah, know yeah. keep going and keep you know feeding her and so like we had to, we were like okay we need to expand our right, you know right, like right. Our, Whoops. our friend yeah. circles and so like intentionally we need to be ones who disciple our kids right parenting is just discipleship right just yeah. over long periods of time and so like we need to disciple our children we need to disciple our congregations with that whole thing so yeah 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 Wow, you guys. So like, okay, so, you know, talking to white people who are listening to this podcast. Yes. When is the last time, when you went to church, mm-hmm. when is the last time you heard from a black preacher? Mm. When is the last time you heard from an Asian preacher? Yeah. I mean, I I can't, uh, I cannot remember the first time I heard a black preacher right. in my life. Right. I mean, it was like right. t- decades in. Yeah. And so certainly like, it's no surprise that I like my, I had to have a growth area of like my understanding and compassion and, and, uh, respect for, for the black community. Yeah. Because I didn't grow up with them being a respected voice. Yeah. 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 So we, as Christians, we, as churches, we, as pastors, we need to have, we have an ability to uh, a, a platform to be able to elevate those voices. So when is the last time you've had an accented person or an international person or a Hispanic person? Yeah. You know, like all of those yeah. questions. Yes, totally. Mm. I love that. I love that. All right. I mean, any last thoughts before we end this? Because this is good. These are like good takeaways. I think it's great that what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Because... <laughs> <laughs> just in general, but specifically because you're asking the questions. Yeah. There's no way you would know what it's like to grow up as an Asian American or to live as an Asian American. Just like, I don't know what it's like to, to live as a black person or a Hispanic person or as a right. white person. And so like, yeah, like the fact that you're asking the questions and not just asking the questions like over dinner, mm-hmm. but asking the question and then amplifying it through this, you know, wonderful yeah. world of yeah. the podcast to more people to say that you got to listen to this. Yeah. Like you all need to learn from that. So that's that posture alone. We all need to do that. And not just about race, not just about Asians, but we need to do that about people that we don't like and that we're yeah. uncomfortable with. And, yeah. you know, people who think different, different politically than us, like we yeah. all just need to sit down and listen. Yeah. So much of us in social media is a big part of this yes. is, is just sitting down and talking mm-hmm. and putting our voice out there as opposed to sitting down and listening to the other side. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I think it is just listening, having conversation. Um, I will never force something down someone's throat, which is talk about Real Housewives. Yeah. Some of it is too like okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. constant, right? You know, um, oh yeah. But it just should be organic. And if you yeah. really are interested in wanting to know, like you will surround yourself and have friends and just start the conversations. That's all I think I would want. Yeah, is people just asking if they are curious. If they're not, that's fine. You know, yeah. I get it, but I do love that um, you're not avoiding it. And even though, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable because you don't want to offend somebody, mm-hmm. but that you're willing to take that chance and that opportunity to just ask us and talk to us like Aww. normal people. Well, thank you guys for being willing to share, you yeah. know, like for trekking out here to New Jersey, but almost Pennsylvania. <laughs> Basically Ohio. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> You almost had to get on a plane to get out here. We stopped at a hotel and slept. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a trek. But for you coming all the way out here, schlepping your equipment, having this amazing conversation, for real. Though, like, it's amazing for me. It's going to be amazing for so many people. So let's go eat. Yes. Yes. Speaking of me being Italian, though, having <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs. Say it in your best Italian accent. Hey, you didn't ask us about favorite snacks. <gasps> oh, my gosh. What are your favorite snacks? Go, Say, go, go. Follower. You are a true <laughs> listener. And I love you. You are going to love this, but my favorite snack now is one of your favorite snacks that you mentioned. Tell Trader me. Trader Joe's, the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. After I, I listened to one of your episodes, I was like, Richard, Kayla mentioned that the snack is really good. I need to go to Trader Joe's. And I got, I love it. Do you know how happy that makes me? <laughs> like if I can introduce someone to a food. You yes. are changing the world. Life changing. <laughs> like this is obvious. Like God made me for this. Like I'm living out my true purpose. I agree. 
I love that. Yeah. Has yours changed since your Parmesan cheese? Are you still doing low carb? Uh, yes. I no, it's the same. Same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. your Parmesan cheese crisps. Yeah. And the dark chocolate good peanut memory. butter cups, though. Yeah. Oh. Love them. They're so good. I can have like one or two and just feel like that was just yes what I needed. Yeah. But you like the two. The d- yeah. Yeah. So I love it. You know, I dark chocolate. It really is like an acquired taste. Like I've. For yes. a while, I was like, oh, I hate dark chocolate. Yeah. But like, as I've matured, like, I really enjoy it. I have a yep. true appreciation for dark chocolate. The peanut butter helps. It softens up. Yes. Because, <laughs> like, the dark chocolate alone can, can be, be a little bitter. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, I mean, if you haven't tried it, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Please, everybody, just go to Trader Joe's. Yeah. Highly Pick up a little, you know, they're like sitting above the freezer and that yeah. hard to reach thing. Yeah. You got to like lean over. It's a whole thing, <laughs> yeah. but whatever. So, grab a few while you're out there. Butter proteins, the chocolate flavored. I got that because of you. Do you ever stick it in your coffee? You yeah, your coffee? I tried it. It's so great. It tastes like mocha. So I've been getting a lot of good ideas from you. And then I also looked up those um, those pants from Amazon. The colorful koala? Yes. Do you see I what I've been doing? Right yes. This is I am amazing. like a secret stalker, guys. I am thrilled. <laughs> Caitlin's podcast. Yes. See, so my links are, so my show oh, notes are yeah. worth it. Yeah, they are totally. They're I love you. A lot of us. Especially me, stay young and relevant. So thank you. I love you guys. This was super fun. Yes. Maybe this is not a life story podcast. Maybe this is like a food and clothing podcast. Exactly. This is just come on and share your products. Yeah, Yeah, food and fashion. Ooh. Maybe we'll do some bonus episodes of food and fashion. Add it to the whiteboard. Sadly, I don't think I will be a guest on that version of the podcast. Oh my goodness. Caitlin, take us out in your best Italian accent. Oh my goodness. Now I'm embarrassed. I'm put on the spot. Come on, do it. What should I say? Like, give me something to say. Um, Do the, you know, if you leave a five star review, I'd love you forever. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can do it. You're the second person this week to like say that to me, though, by the way, like (laughs) as kind of making fun of me. But anyway, anyway, (laughs) I don't know if I can do it. You got to get into it. You got to get into it. I really can't. No. can't do it. I'm chickening out on my own podcast. I can't. You know what? I What I'll do, I, this is what I'll promise you. I'll have my father come on and say it because oh. he is straight Long Island. Oh, yes. He can do it and Ask he will Chicola. deliver. Thank you. Dad, you're coming on and prepare your accent. <laughs> love you guys. Oh, love so you fun. too. Thank you. Let's go eat. Let's yes. go. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.